Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Man, I just love coming here, you guys. You, you have just uh, created such a culture of Christ-centeredness and word-centeredness. And uh, so many friends, Charles, thanks for your kind words, man. Not, not deserving at all, but uh, so many friends here, and it just feels like home coming back here. But um, I am glad, by the way, I noticed that th- sometimes there's a little platform underneath this thing to raise it up to like Dr. Allen height. And when I walked in and saw that it wasn't there, like, oh, thank you, Lord. I just, I never feel more like a hobbit than when I'm with Dr. Allen. It's just, at the For the Church thing, I did a, I did a little seminar underneath here. And, and the, the podium they had was that acrylic kind of a podium that's Dr. Allen size, you know? And I was like, hey, could we just use a music standard? No, that's the one. I'm like, well, all right, at least it's transparent. You know, people see me through it somehow. <laughs> I can't. Anyway, I'm really glad to be here. But hey, before we jump into the text this morning, shamelessly, I'm going to get you guys to pray for me. I'm, I'm leaving about 48 hours from now. I'm going to be on a plane back to Zambia. I spend a bit of time in Zambia. And this is a pretty critical trip that, that I'm taking. We do a lot of uh, helping with training rural pastors that can't access any kind of formal education. We, we do some pastor training for some rural pastors over there. But then everywhere, churches planted, there are orphans just everywhere. And so a lot of what we do also is help them take care of the orphans according to the gospel, you know, to be able to take care of those in greatest need. And and we're going this time into a, a deeper, even remote village. It's a little bit perilous to, to try to get in and out of this place, but we, we've been able to get in there once and, and get some water there, and the gospel has just exploded. Church, uh, our church has been planted, and, and now we're trying to get a clinic there, so I'm taking some doctors from the university hospital with me to help. So anyway, there's a lot at stake and a lot of moving parts, and i got a bunch of prayers in front of me right now. And so if I could just hit pause and ask you to join me in praying. Um, I would love that. So would you pray with me? Uh, Lord, um, always we should feel a sense of inadequacy um, because we are. We are weak and inexperienced and dull of hearing. So it's, it's kind of our static place is just inadequacy. And yet there are times, Lord, that we feel that just palpably. It's just clear to even our own proud eyes just how inadequate we are. And this is one of those, Lord. So I I pray, and Lord, I join with my brothers and sisters right here. Would you do tremendous work that would go way beyond our skill, our ingenuity, our strength, because it's so, it pales compared to the need. So Lord, I'm asking on behalf of all that you're doing in Zambia and among those dear people that we're going to meet in a few days, would you do some incredible things through your spirit, would you show the world that not only you're not afraid of weakness, you actually are drawn to weakness so that everyone can see that it's your power at work. It's your gospel at work. And so, Jesus, we just long to see that. And when it's all said and done, when the dust settles, uh, the quick confession of our lips will be, to God be the glory, great things you have done. Lord, it will be easy for us to do that because we'll know for sure it's true. You have done great things. And so that's what we look toward. So thanks for these brothers and sisters. Will you open our eyes now to your word? Um, It becomes familiar to us, especially in a setting like this, but we don't want to have eyes that uh, that are kind of dull. We we want to be um, awakened to the truth by your spirit, Lord. So will you do that for us, please, God? That's our prayer to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. 
Um, well, as I thought about what God would have me to, to bring to you in this setting here, I was actually thinking about, we're up in Iowa, we're going through the book of Hebrews, and uh, we got to this crazy text, Hebrews chapter 7, about Melchizedek, and for whatever reason, I just kept getting drawn back there, and, and here's why I think it's going to be an appropriate time for us to spend in such an obscure text. This is it, guys. Um, right now, all of us are experiencing a spike in all sorts of areas of life. So we're seeing these spikes with COVID. In fact, not long ago, I was standing at the bedside in an ICU with one of our church members who, by God's grace, came, came back and, and is, is uh, healed, so grateful. But we're seeing a spike in COVID, and so we hear that word spike. But there's another spike that I'm, I'm seeing around, and it's the one I want to address this morning, and that's a spike in a whole lot of Christian leaders who are crashing and burning all around us. And it's become like headline news if you're a Christian. Almost shamefully, but true, right? And I just wondered, how is that landing on a lot of, especially not, some of you are already leaders in your context, but many of you are emerging leaders into the Christian church. And what are you thinking as you're just seeing this spike? And it seems like, or, or at least we're getting a lot more attention drawn to it, but all these really seemingly solid leaders failing, right? right? Right before our eyes. And at times, I'm wondering if, if I'm a young leader looking down the road at all these people who are way further ahead of me and should be stronger than I am and more resilient than I am, falling. Do, do I think, you know, a, a couple, there's a couple ditches you can fall into. One might be, man, I'm just going to quit now. I am not stronger than that. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not made of Teflon. If they're going down, I'm just going to quit right now rather than go on that perilous path, right? That's one thing. Or another path that might be just as dangerous is, you know what? I got to just double down. I just got to work harder. I got to be better than they are. I've got to just work harder at it. Both of those, I think, are actually ditches that you could fall in as you're trying to respond to the failure of leaders. Because the real answer is not either of those. It's to look to Christ it's to, with reckless abandon, with a glad surrender, go, go to Jesus Christ. And I, I hope that you find this text of Scripture doing that for you. Okay, so what I want to do, though, is I want you to start in the book of Genesis with me. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 14. Um, when you hit this text where we first meet Melchizedek in the Bible in Genesis 14, um, you, you probably remember the story, but let me just summarize. So Abraham and Lot by this time have, have become both uh, quite prosperous. So they've divided up right now, right? So Lot went his way, Abraham went his way, but Lot got himself in a lot of trouble and um, it, it ended up there were these, this massive war. There's this alliance of four kings and this alliance of five kings. They've combined together, have this massive war. And you remember the story, Lot becomes almost like a casualty of war. He gets hauled off by one of these kings one as, as almost spoils for the winner, but not because he was necessarily involved, but he just kind of got caught up in the misery of the whole thing. And so what's crazy is it, it, the Bible says Abraham sees what's going on, still cares a lot, obviously, for his family. So he musters up all of his, all of his guys, and it gives the number, because I think of the absurdity of it, 318 dudes go with Abraham and actually win a campaign against this combined force of ancient powers, right? So it's miraculous that he did it, that he had enough faith to even try such an audacious thing. 
but he wins. So he's on his way back, not just freeing Lot and his family, but all the other people and, and all the other casualties of war. And, and so he's taking them home triumphant. It's, it's a pretty sweet little story, but that's when you encounter Melchizedek. So look at verse 17 of, of Genesis 14. After Abraham, or Abram at this point, returned from defeating Cheddar Lomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shaval Valley, that is the King's Valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him, and he said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, if you're just casually working your way through Genesis, it's like, wait, what? Who, who is this dude? What an enigma, right? What a mystery. Like, this doesn't fit at all. All of a sudden, this narrative is going, oh, yeah, the kings came out, and then all of a sudden just, boop, here drops this weird, mysterious dude, Melchizedek. Wait, is he a king or is he a priest? Yes. <laughs> He's this king priest, and it gives no explanation to that, no background, no anything, just drops in this king priest. What's with the bread and wine? Right? As a New Testament person reading that, you're like, hey, wait a minute. I remember bread and wine, right? So, but no explanation, just this little, just this little breadcrumb dropped, dropped on the path to the Bible reader. But truly a priest, right? In one moment, in just such a short little verse, he's representing God to Abram, bringing God's blessing down on Abram, and like a true priest, turning around and representing Abram back to God, saying, hey, that victory that just happened, thanks to you, God, because that wasn't in my hands. I had 318 dudes against all this combined forces. So the true priest representing God before the people, turning around the other way around, clearly set apart from any other king, and priest, we hadn't even been introduced to a priesthood yet, so he's clearly an enigma in that way as well, just dropped into there's something, guys, overflowing with mystery here. So great is this one that Abram does the only responsible thing, falls down and gives him a tithe. <laughs> so, what? Okay, so one, one more little clue trail there, like, apparently it's a spontaneous worshipful act to tithe. So I don't know what your practice is, but that, this isn't even part of the whole message, but you're going to see it repeated when we get to Hebrews. Apparently, one of the most appropriate acts of worship is tithing. So just kind of put that in your back pocket and think about it later. We're not even going to pull over there, but, but I'm just saying this is such a great moment that Abram does the only responsible thing, worships and actually even offers a tithe, but something super mysterious, magical is going on. Okay, we don't hear about this dude again from that point. That's it. That's all you get. Now go a thousand years into the future. Go to Psalm 110. A thousand years later, we get to the time of David. David writes a song in Psalm 110, and I want you to follow along. Look what he says. This is the declaration of the Lord to my Lord. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Very kingly psalm, right? You remember this, this very noble kingly uh, Psalm. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, rule over your surrounding enemies. Your people will volunteer in your day of battle in holy splendor. From the womb of the dawn, the dew of your youth belongs to you. And then here's this weird enigmatic verse right in the dead center. The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. What? 
and then flips right back to kingly. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his anger. He will judge the nations, heaping up corpses. He will crush leaders over the entire world. He will drink from the brook by the road. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Okay, a thousand years in the future, once again, we get this weird, mysterious little drop into our Bible of Melchizedek. David, apparently inspired by the Lord, is, is all of a sudden picking up this clue trail and dropping it again a thousand years in the future about this crazy confluence of kingship and priesthood. Those two things don't mix in the rest of the Bible, right? That's not part of the whole covenant strategy. Now we've got this king-priest seamlessly brought together in this kind of foreshadowing of something that's yet to come, but no explanation, no footnotes, no anything, right? That's it, dropped now we have to go a thousand more years into the future before God will give us anything more. So now, if you're still with me, go, go to the book of Hebrews. I want you to see this. Start in chapter 5, actually. Some new greater king is coming. Some new greater priest is coming, Genesis, Psalm, and now we're going to meet him. So if you go to chapter 5, drop down to verse 8 in Hebrews 5. Here's where he first talks about him. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. There too is some mystery, right? But verse 9, and after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who will obey him. And he was declared by God a high priest according to the order or according to the pattern of Melchizedek. So now all of a sudden he's going to say, oh, by the way, here's going to be the answer. If you've been tracking along and wondered, who is this Melchizedek? Okay, I'm going to tell you. But then he's going to hit pause again. He's going to say, you know, I want to talk about that, but you people are so lazy, I can't even talk to you about this. So he does this whole riff, actually through chapter 6. If you really want to get convicted in the book of Hebrews, pick it up where we're going to actually skip. Go through chapter 6 because he's like, man, I want to tell you about Melchizedek. You lazy people. I can't even go there because you're so lazy. It's very encouraging in that you get spurred on by, the, by that chapter. But I'm going to skip that part. You can read that on your own. Uh, drop to the end of chapter 6. Go to verse 19, because after kind of beating us up a little bit, he is going to come back to the point. Verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, 619. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he's become a high priest forever according to the order or the pattern of Melchizedek. Okay, so he's like, okay, I'm done kind of beating you up on, on your laziness. Now I'm gonna, okay, now I'm going to tell you about this Melchizedek. So now we're going to learn a little bit more. So go to chapter 7 with me. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. There it is again, right? First, his name means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling, check that out, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. He brings up the tithe again, you guys. That's what I'm saying. What, I don't want to talk about it that much, but you can't miss it, right? He just keeps repeating that, so it must be fairly important. But here's, here's what I do want you to think about. He's saying... This was only a guy that resembles the Son of God, and I'm about to draw the curtain back and show you the real thing. This was just a shadow. This Melchizedek guy was only to bait you, only to kind of tease you a little bit, only to give you a glimpse of something far greater that's yet to come, and this is going to be the true king of righteousness. 
This Jesus, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to reveal to you, mysteriously kind of showed us a little bit. Melchizedek, no, no, this is the true king of peace. This is the, the true high priest, truly divine. Now this guy, now Melchizedek, it didn't, we, don't, we don't know anything about his lineage, but this one we do, and he's divine. No beginning, no end. God, eternal, right? Very divine, just great. I even like when he says, consider how great this man was. Sometimes that word can be... Um, translated large, how large this man was. And you know why I like the word large? He's going to break the mold. Everything that we thought about kings, everything we thought about priests, everything we thought about the way things ought to go in religious work, Jesus is going to, he's so big, he's going to explode any mold that we had. He is truly in a class of his own. He is the true enigma, okay? Jesus is the true mystery, the one that doesn't fit any of our categories, fits no molds that we've had. And the only appropriate response is going to be to fall down and worship him. Now, I I want to get to the good news, but the only way to get to the good news about this and and why I picked this passage, you have to let Hebrews 7 kind of lay in on the the bad news. Why did we need a new mold, a, a shattering of the old mold and a whole new thing coming to us? Well, the closest analogy that I could come up with as I thought about the, the intent of Hebrews 7 here is, so um, I really love being outside. I love trees. I really dig trees. Um, and it's especially fun for me when one of them dies or needs to be trimmed because I really love chainsaws. You know, I love to grow them. I'm mostly excited about growing trees, but I also love to cut them. So, But right now, my chainsaw is so dull. It is so ridiculously dull because I don't take good care of stuff ever. So I've got a really, so the other day I had a couple of my grandsons over and they're really into chainsaws, especially Jet. He's really into chainsaw. So I got his little goggles on him. You know, I sent him, stood him appropriately far away because I had this branch come down. I'm like, watch this, you know, and he's all excited. You know, my chainsaw is so dull. This branch is only like that big around. I'm like, I'm just like trying to go through. It was most ridiculous. I'm like, hold on. I'm like trying to break the thing. You know, it'd be easier. It's like ridiculous. So if if while I'm doing that, if I'm while I'm trying to use this dull chainsaw, if all of a sudden somebody comes up and oh, dude, my neighbor or something has mercy on me. Hey, just use my chainsaw. And I see this glistening, perfectly sharpened, great chainsaw. You know, like I'd be, I'd be starting to go through things like you know a hot knife through butter. You know, all over the place. What would I do with my old chainsaw? Throw it off to the side. Who needs that thing, right? I got the real thing in my hands. Here's what I'm saying. What Hebrews 7 is going to try to say is, look, that's all they had to work with was this priesthood, this kingship, right? Even a leaky bucket is what you use if that's the only bucket you have to carry water, right? So, so that's all they had, but now there's going to be something so much better. Toss the old one away. It, it, it was weak. It, it wasn't meant to last forever, right? So, so break the new mold because here's what he says about the weakness of the system they had before. Earthly priests, you guys, were were broken humans. Okay, look at verse 11, for instance. He says in, uh, in verse 11, now if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood from the basis of the people, they received the law. What further need would there be for another priest to appear and to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? Like, if you had a chainsaw that worked, if somebody else said, hey, you can use my chainsaw, you'd be like, oh, no, I, I'm good. I got this. No, you, it was clear to everybody this thing was broken. Now, the reason it was clear to everybody that they needed to toss the old one aside is 
Guys, you remember the way we got to have a priesthood was Aaron was the first kind of high priest, right? But because he was a Levite, that, that ended up, God just kind of redefined that whole tribe then as the ones that would populate the priesthood, right? So you got Aaron and then these priesthood, and they would do what priests do. They would go, you know, to God on your behalf. They would represent God back to the people. But the, here's the problem, guys. They were bad. They were bad. Even the very first priest, Aaron, right, ended up doing a terrible thing and creating an idol. The very first one we ever had, right? And then you just keep going. You get like Eli's sons who are stealing the stuff coming from God. Here, can you take this as my offering? That's right. And they'd start pounding it down themselves. They did immoral things right there where the sacrifices were being done, right? This whole priesthood thing was just bad, corrupt. And rightly, the people would be thinking this as you would be, look, how can I trust this priest if they're doing things that even make me blush, right? These, these guys can't represent me before God. They're worse than I am. And I'm expecting them to, to intervene, to intercede for me, right? And if that wasn't bad enough, every now and then a good one would come along and they die. <laughs> Look at verse 23. Now many have become Levitical priests since they're prevented by death from remaining in office. So what I'm saying is even the good priests have had a shelf life. As soon as I start getting excited about them, oh shoot, he died, you know, right? Now we get a bad one again. You know, that it was just this constant revolving door of priesthoods. Most of them actually bad, but even the good ones kick the bucket. We need a restart. We need something new. This is not working. So I want you to go to verse 12 with me. Jesus is going to break the mold. He says this in verse 12. For when there's a, cha a change of priesthood, there must be a change of law as well. For the one these things are spoken about belonged to a different tribe. Didn't follow the Aaron Levitical line. No one from, in fact, no one from this tribe ever served at the altar. It's evident that our Lord came from Judah. Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests. And this becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, right? He didn't become a priest based on legal regulation, physical descent. No, it didn't, didn't fit that mold, but based on the power of an indestructible life. It's been testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus steps onto the scene, and he's going to clearly break every mold. He doesn't fit the pattern, doesn't come from Aaron, doesn't come from Levi. Hold another. Wait, I didn't hear. Those guys can become priests from Judah? What? But it's not going to be because he fit the pattern. It's going to be because of his indestructible life. And that's the way this whole chapter is going to really climax. This. It talks about this Jesus with the indestructible life that we can actually trust in. So here's the good news. Here's what I want to do is land where Hebrews 7 lands. I want you to go down to verse 24 with me, okay? Because the first part of the good news that we've got in Jesus is that he is eternal. He's never gonna leave us. He has no shelf life. He is eternal. Look at verse 24, it says, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Look at that. Remains forever, permanently, save completely, always lives. Jesus isn't going anywhere. In fact, do this. Go, go back to chapter 13 with me in Hebrews because he, he comes back to this idea of Jesus never leaving us in chapter 13. Verse 5, he says this. 
Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Even at that point of, of financial security, he's saying, here's what I want you to bank on, right? Jesus' presence, he's never leaving. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You know, that quote, that first quote there that's in bold because it's an Old Testament quote, it, it's, it's really an important cross-reference because it goes back to Deuteronomy 31. I'm not going to have us go there. I'm just going to explain why it's important that he pulls that passage to talk about Jesus. Because here's what happened to Deuteronomy 31. End of the Pentateuch. So that means that Moses is about to die, right? He's about to kick up. But all the people are about to enter the promised land. And so they're freaked out. I, we need this leader. We need this heroic guy. He took us all the way from Egypt. I, he's got to be, he's the man. What, you can't leave us now, Right? And God's like, actually, I want you to be following me, not him. So I'm going to take him off the scene. But guess what? I'm never leaving. I'm never, ever leaving your side. I will never abandon you. I'm never going to die. I don't have a shelf life, right? So it's intriguing, right, that that same passage is brought up now. Speaking of Jesus, guys, Jesus isn't going anywhere, he saves completely. He always lives to intercede for you. You're saying, yeah, but what if I stumble? I'm looking ahead. I'm seeing other people stumble. I'm seeing that people fall. Leaders are falling left and right. Oh, actually, if you blow it, that's okay, because I always live. I'm never leaving you. I'm never going to abandon you. What if I get scared? There's other things going on, and there's other things to make you afraid. What if I get COVID, right? What if, what if we, we start getting persecuted as Christians? What if I don't have what it takes to kind of lead out in these kind of ways? What if something terrible happens to someone I love? What if I lose a child? What if, you can spend your life stacking up the what ifs that might possibly happen to you down the road. Nothing is going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He isn't going anywhere. Guys, isn't there just a confidence that can come to us knowing that he's never going anywhere? He's going to be right by my side. In fact, I love in, in Psalm 23, where at, at first Psalm, Psalm 23 has Jesus out in front of the good shepherd leading us. And then when all of a sudden we start going through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what? He's right there beside us. It's a really beautiful imagery in the Hebrew poem there because, because we would think, wait, I, I can barely see him. Things are getting dark. Can I see him? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, you've all of a sudden, <laughs> you've gone from out in front of the line to right there. You got your arm around me. You're drawing me through. That's the Jesus that will never leave us, never forsake us. So there's good news. Jesus is eternal. He's going to be with us, guys. The second bit of good news and, and why we need Jesus and, and, and throw out this old system is because Jesus is sinless. Therefore, he really can represent you. <laughs> Unlike those other priests, Jesus is sinless. Look what he says in verse 26. This is the kind of high priest we need. I love that. I underlined that, highlighted that. This is the kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do for their own sins, right? And then for those of the people. No, he did this once for all time when he offered himself. This is the kind of priest we need. Interceding for you. Say, so, yeah, but man, I've got this really dark sin. And if anybody knew, no, here's what I'm saying. Jesus takes his holiness. Look at the stack of words. This is the kind of high priest we need. Holy. He takes away all your sin and replaces that with his holiness. 
perfect holiness. Takes away my, you know, the worst part of who I, who I am and puts his innocence, right? I, I feel like I wish I was more innocent, more naive. But no, no matter, no guilt in that because Jesus, the innocent one, puts his innocence over me. He takes my undefiled life, right? And, and Jesus says, I've, I've got an undefiled life and I'm going to lay that, I'm just going to lay that right over you now. That's yours. I represent you before God. And when God looks down, he sees my representation of you before him and it's undefiled. Every time you caved, every time you follow the sinful path, Jesus is saying, oh, I stayed true. I, I, I stayed with perfect integrity. That's what, look at this stack of things, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, even exalted. Jesus is exalted now. And let me tell you this, guys. When you look up and see the exalted Jesus what do you see on his face when you look up to see him? You don't see him going, no. When you look up and see the exalted Jesus, do you see him going, again? No. You see him beaming down with love. You see him beaming down, and you know what? You, you, you could almost hear him say, I'm preparing a place for you. Man, I can't wait to get you home, Right? That's the Jesus that is in the high and exalted place, not looking down with scorn, looking down with love, looking down saying, man, I can't wait to have you back. You have not exhausted Jesus' ability to forgive you, right? Once for all time, it says, he has offered himself for you, and he's never taking that back. Promise is good. Isn't that freeing? And last, look at the very last verse of that, of that chapter. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, right? But the promise or the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Jesus is the king priest we desperately need. The kind of king who actually becomes a servant. You just read it from us from Philippians 2. is perfect. Philippians chapter 2, right? That king became a slave to all and gave his life for us. That's the kind of king we never expected. Who sees a king like that? That's the kind of king we have in Jesus. This kind of high priest puts himself on the altar. This kind of high priest becomes the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. Whoever thought of a high priest like that, breaking, shattering every mold that we have, that's the high, kind of high priest that we need. Just meditate on those truths. Just meditate on those verses let the confidence just overwhelm you. So guys, why did it bring you to Hebrews 7? Uh, one, I, I think what it did for me is just to show me that, um, man, Aslan is not a tame lion. <laughs> uh, th this God that we serve doesn't, doesn't follow your rules or my rules. And in fact, goes way beyond anything we could ask for or even imagine. And so just Hook your wagon to that, right? So just crazy enigmatic things that happen anytime God's on the move. So just spectacular view of God. But more than that, what I started off with, guys, pastors and Christian leaders, just like the Old Testament priesthood, they're weak, okay? They are, I promise you, they are going to disappoint you. And right now, you might feel a little shell-shocked because they just seem to be coming in rapid succession. Guys, our trust and our hope has never, ever supposed to have been laid at the feet of a human leader. The kind of high priest that we need is Jesus Christ. 
the kind of leader, the kind of king, the kind of, we need Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry that people disappoint. I'm terribly sorry. I, please, God, let me not be one of those that you put in that category of people that greatly disappointed you. I don't want to go there. But what I'm telling you is, look, here's, here's the reality. Even the best of them die. <laughs> They leave us, right? As I was thinking about this, I got actually a little emotional because I started thinking of people that I really looked up to, like Eugene Peterson, these pastors, Eugene Peterson, like hanging on every word. He died. He kicked the bucket, right? What? You can't leave me. R.C. Sproul, you guys, I gave my life to Christ as a freshman at the university, and in me, I don't even know how. I found R.C. Sproul. How did that even happen? But somehow I found R.C. Sproul. I used to get cassette tapes. I'm, I'm, I'm almost 60, so the only we didn't have you know, the World Wide Web. So we had to use it. I remember getting the cassette tape of the month from R.C. Sproul and would hang on every word. And he stayed faithful, guys, all the way to the end. I don't know if you're R.C. Sproul fans. Remember at the end, he'd give his lectures with oxygen tube in his nose, just endearing, like he died. R.C. Sproul's gone, right? Jerry Bridges, all these guys that led me and helped me and discipled me, <laughs> they're dead, they're gone, right? They got a shelf life. Jesus Christ is never leaving me. And he's left me some awesome men of God, women of God. I still take walks with Elizabeth Elliot, by the way. Have you seen her, her granddaughter put this series of, of talks that Elizabeth Elliot gave? I go on walks with Elizabeth Elliot, right? Even from the grave, she's still kind of good. But they, they, they're dead, right? They're gone. They're not helping anymore from, from where they're at. They're, they're happy to not be here anymore. But even more, guys. Some that stick around disappoint you because they crash and burn. And I'm really sorry about that. I am not in any way wanting to kind of gloss over that or minimize that. I still, I feel like I kind of get punch drunk every now and then. The next one that comes away, and I, I get shattered just like you do. I think more highly of people. I, I expect more, but there I am, disappointed again, and I think... And so the reason I know what goes on in your heart, or maybe I'm just <laughs> kind of projecting into you because I know what goes on in my heart, what am I doing in this race? I, right? I am not a better man than what I'm seeing fall in front of me. Or, conversely, I got to work harder. I got to discipline myself more. I got to watch everything. I got to, you know, and so I get in this works-based frenzy of trying to think that I can somehow keep myself from that failure I don't want to quit, and I don't want to start trusting in my own righteousness. <laughs> I don't want to fall in either of those ditches. You know what I need? I need Jesus. That's what I need. I, I need Jesus Christ, who is not weak and has no shelf life and will never disappoint, and he is never leaving me. He's never forsaking me. And so there's one truth that I want us to land on. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Will you, will you close your Bible and stand with me? Here's what I want to do as we, as we end our time together. Here is what I think should be the clarion call of every one of us in this room right now. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. And as you hear the Savior Look down and say, ah, oh, yeah, I can see you're not very strong. You know, we say, oh, totally. I'm weak. Child of weakness, you should do better. Child of weakness, you should just quit right now because I can tell you're never going to make it. 
Is that? No. Child of weakness, watch and pray. What's the next line? Find in me thine all in all. <laughs> right? That's what we declare. That's our confession. Find in me thine all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. Jesus, you washed it white as snow. Jesus, our hope is in you. Because the reality is, Jesus, it's not just that others disappoint us. We disappoint ourselves. But our trust and our confidence has never been in our ability. We didn't save ourselves. Therefore, we're not going to keep ourselves saved, Lord. So we're just going to recalibrate all over again and say, Lord, we're just going to confess so boldly our strength is small. We are children of weakness. And so we watch and pray and we say, Jesus, we find in you not some other leader that we've been looking up to, not in the mirror. We find in you our all in all. Jesus, you paid it all. All to you I owe. All we brought was our sin as a crimson stain. Lord, you washed it white as snow. Ah, what? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. You, Jesus, are the high priest we need. And you welcome us. <laughs> to you be the glory. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.